0: UX Podcast, episode
1: 112.
0: Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Roy Lawson.
2: And I'm Pat Axbom.
0: And we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden.
2: Yay! So what are we doing today? We Last week we were at Interact London.
0: Yeah, we got invited across um, to attend Interact London 2015, uh, which was at the British Museum in oh, central London. Oh, that was a, a fantastic
2: venue. Mm. I wish I had more time to walk around, though. Yeah, we had absolutely uh, zero time to <laughs> walk around. We were in the
0: cellar. <laughs> yep, yeah, in the cellar. But um, but you still get to walk in through the main entrance yeah. to the British Museum, and there's the, the lovely domed mm. courtyard mm. when you go in before we go downstairs. Yeah. So it was... Um, very, very uh, in, well, inspiring venue to walk into. It today. is. It's massive. It's huge, and it's beautiful. We, when we were there, we um, we interviewed seven of the speakers. Right. Two days, of, uh, two days of talks, and we interviewed seven speakers. We also did a another interview with um, uh, two of the um, attendees, the delegates of the um, conference. Mm. And we've um, we decided to split up the content into two separate shows for you. Mm. So this um, this first show, that you're already listening to, um, we've pulled together kind of our own little theme or track from the interviews.
2: At least we believe so. <laughs> I think, so. yeah, we have. Neurology, psychology, and cognitive neuroscience. And uh, the interviews you're going to hear today are uh, speakers who brought up to- these topics
0: uh more clearly, perhaps, than the others. Yeah, they, they, mm. they, they mm. mention bits of brain yeah. <laughs> and, and the mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and, and and discuss the, mm. the, the f- thinking mm. and, and how the brain processes certain mm. things. Cool. And
2: today we will uh, be listening to three of these interviews. The uh, first one out is Steve Portugal.
0: Who was the um, cos- closing keynote speaker right, on so day two. You'll actually hear the first... <laughs> First, first interview will be the last speaker. So you get. Oh, so our our chat is before we actually have heard what he's going to say. Right, but it
2: is. It really does set the theme for the conference, at least the way I experienced it. Uh, his delving into mindfulness and presence. Uh, the name of of his talk was. Uh, uh, the Des- designer is yeah, present. the designer is present. What he really wanted to get across is. You're trying to interrupt me here. Yeah, well, I was going to
0: say, he's coming up first in the interviews, but yeah. then um, we've, we've later on in the show. And oh, you'll want to mention who else we're talking to. Yeah, before you, because you're diving yes. straight, in I'm to diving to straight Steve into Steve. I'm diving straight into You know. I'm excited. Yeah, well, I, yeah. it's exciting talk. <laughs> um, but, but also coming up in the episode, um, we talk to um, Pete Drena. Yep. Um, and he discussed, um, well, it was. Um, the Arbus hippocampus. Hippocampus. Yeah, well, his talk about. is bigger really hippos and happier humans. Yeah. was his talk, um, and they've um, his company of um, d- well, they've they've developed a formula for happiness. Mm. It is pretty cool that that yeah. one as well. And the third interview we'll bring you today is um, is is the this, no this talk was the one mm. that was the least he was the one most mm. detached from the world of UX. Mm. Um, Anjan Chatterjee, but he's a mm. neuro a neuroscientist. Mm. Yeah, um, and um, He's talking about the neuroscience of um, um, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Now you can back, back to Steve. Now <laughs> you go back to Steve. Sorry. <laughs> uh,
2: his talk, when it's presented on, on the page uh, for Interact London, it it starts talking about how, as, how therapists, as, as part of their education, have to go through therapy themselves. And we, as UXers, uh, don't perhaps think too much about, when we go out and interview users, uh, what we are communicating to them perhaps uh, unconsciously when we react to what they're saying uh, and exactly and let our biases come right. show
0: through because of
2: our reactions learning to be present and mindful when uh, trying to understand users is a core competency really for uh, designers should we let
0: steve tell
1: us yeah,
2: about it let's have him on <laughs>
0: Um, we're sa- we're stood. We're not even sat anymore. We're stood with um, Steve Portugal um, here at um, Interact um, London, mm. and um, Steve's going to be the keynote speaker tomorrow afternoon, the second day. Um, but we grabbed him now. Now, um, talk tomorrow is the designer is present. Now, um, Steve, I know both me and Pear. We've got relatives, um, close relatives, who were um, psychologists, behavioural psychologists. Um, so we're we're aware of the of the the, the requirement and need that you. Um, you need to be counseled yourself as part of that profession. And from what I've read, that's tying into your talk tomorrow.
3: Yeah, and I I think those professions that have the mindset that they have to look at themselves as part of their work. And you know, I think about people in the psychotherapy world and artists. Mm. You know, artists work out their own material. They work out their own lives and their material. There's just a strong connection between who you are, how you see yourself, and how you do what you do, but that's not so much uh, a factor of you know the world that we live in, especially around technology, where there's a strong threat of well, we know, we know, we have a vision, we want to enable the shopping cart checkout experience that will revolutionize the end-to-end blah 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 something something. Like that's the the kind of the currency of our field. And yet, if you look at people in UX, I think we are trying to advocate for the the human and the humane, Mm. but it's almost like no one has ever said, hey, we should think about who we are, not just because it's good in itself, but because that is a way to get better at what we're doing. Mm. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's, that's some of what I've been thinking about and what I'm hoping to try to address tomorrow. Right.
1: Yeah. It
2: actually seems like a lot of the talks that we heard earlier today have been around this theme that we as designers need to be thinking more about why we're doing stuff, and not just how we can help people actually like check out a book mm. from Amazon. Uh, my my p- famous example being uh, Amazon one-click ordering. And that's a fantastic experience. You buy, buy a book with one click. The problem is it's so easy to t- buy, so people buy it without thinking. Uh, and Hence, they may not be actually be happy in the end.
3: When I was looking at just uh, you know e-reader adoption, which was an area I did some exploration a few years ago, and uh, you know when we talk about whether that's succeeding or failing, it's usually based on units sold. Mm. To your point, um, but less about books read. Mm. Um, and so you know we're you know you manage what you measure. So we're measuring. How, you know how much money is being made. That's the producer mindset. But mm. you're right. That was something that kind of came up today. What, what's the thing that we should actually be looking at? Mm.
0: And and you making a yeah. What, what difference do you want to make as a designer mm. um, or as a UX or whatever you want to call it? And it's is it? Uh, are you looking from a personal point of view, or are you still just kind of doing the dirty work of the organization?
3: Right, and I and I'm advocating that, you know, a path to do that is to is to turn the lens inward. Mm. And I, I think that, all, like anything, you can kind of lead to evil instead of good. And I, I'm not so keen on designers sort of speaking from their own vision, um, but really to be facilitating and making those connections between people and culture. But you can't do that unless you can take a look at yourself and see, well, where am I coming from? I mean, there's just... We have our own baggage and our own biases and our own aspirations, and so to to listen to those and to listen to the world and to to do that synthesis interpretation creating that we do to make a thing. I know I see those as just inputs that go together, and you know I've been talking about research for years and years and years, and research is the like let's look at the world, not ourselves. Mm but i've just I found more and more that you know to really be able to look at somebody else, you have to know where you 're coming from, so i 'm mm-hmm. sort of talking about the other half of the equation i guess at, at mm-hmm. this event
0: i mean do you how do you think we should we should go about achieving that then as as, as individuals in all this I mean do we need to sign up for a for a a um, oh, counseling session um, or sit ourselves lay ourselves down on the <laughs> on the couch
3: yeah i th- I'm going to be talking about you know, this notion of mindfulness and presence, which I think mm. is uh, less of a complex issue than counseling. Like, mm. I'm not, yeah. I don't think we need to, yes, one should work out whatever one needs to work out to be as happy as possible. Mm. Um, but it's at a simpler level. Um, you know, present is about being connected to the moment, like yeah. what's happening right now, not what's happening tomorrow, what's happened yesterday. And if you can do that, then you can hear what someone is telling you you can hear what they need you can you just can function in a you know with with more clarity these are all very kind of hippie granola california sounding words i apologize for not really actually okay (laughs) good all right well i'll just own it (laughs) (laughs) thank you um so yeah i think you know it's not for me to say what we all should do i Mm -hmm. guess i'm going to say here's why, here's a little bit of here's how. Um, but it's obviously everybody's individual choice. But yeah, I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't think that it had benefit, it wasn't importance. Again, not to undergo counseling, but just to take the time for ourselves to pay attention to you know, the moment. I mean, it's, so, it's sort of, it's profound and cliched at the same time. But if you think about just what's right in front of you right now versus all the things that are pulling at you, Mm. Um, you know we're doing something the three of us right now are in this moment but it's hard not to think about the moment in which this thing we're doing will be consumed Mm. perhaps on a device perhaps in a multitasking concept a context Mm. so like we have to be in this moment and yet you know as creators of the thing you guys are designing this experience for somebody else and you have done a lot of work to and have a lot of awareness of their context which isn't, may not be as present. So, you know, I, yeah. these are things that you have worked on in, in, in being able to record a good interview and be able to produce an experience for someone. It's just, it's around us all the time. It's really interesting. We don't always think about how much stuff people are doing as they are listening to the
2: podcast, but you're really hitting home with me with this presence and mindfulness thinking. Uh, I'm actually now attending a, a course in coaching uh, and I'm learning to sit and listen to a person for one, an hour and a half and really be in that moment. And it's having fantastic <laughs> effects on how I approach the world and how I approach like normal user interviews uh, in the sense that I'm no longer <laughs> being stressed about taking notes or thinking about how will I interpret this later, but I'm actually being in the moment listening, uh, which helps me actually understand what's go- really going on here. It, instead of... Uh, thinking of the next question I'm going to ask, yeah. I'm actually listening for the question within that person, uh, uh-huh. and realizing how that can happen, and how easy it is if you just block everything else out. Uh, it's just mind blowing for me.
3: I <laughs> like how you explain mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. you talk about what you're not doing.
2: Mm. Yeah, you know, like mm. you know, letting mm. go mm. of other things. That's a yeah. really I yeah. think,
3: concise way of putting it. And and you had to sort of unlearn some default behaviors. Right, that were very good listening mm. behaviors, mm. but mm. you had to you know. Unbundle or unpack mm-hmm. or throw things away. Yeah. I talked to somebody uh, uh, a couple months ago, and they were describing, mm-hmm. yeah, that period when you are hearing someone talk and all you're thinking about is what you want to say in response. Mm-hmm. He kind of he did this he had this example that was like um, cocking a rifle. Okay. Um, you know, and it was kind of the <laughs> with that gesture that that anyone that hears that noise kind of knows. Yeah. And that. I mean, it was very it was a very aggressive uh, image, but I thought it was just very illustrative of, um, you know, when someone is talking and, and you are working on the next thing, exactly. it's almost like yeah. getting the gun ready to shoot in response. Mm. And, mm. you know, maybe it's an argument or mm. maybe it's some kind of persuasive mm. conversation, but that even that thing not mm. to. And I'm thinking about the conversation we're having now Or mm. again, we don't want dead air. We, we want to create an experience for somebody else that's valuable. Um, you know we have all this pressure mm. when we are listening mm. given the output or the outcomes we're, we're seeking mm. and yet it's transformative as you said i'm just rehashing everything that you said it's good should you listen yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and parroted um
2: You're mirroring my thoughts
3: yes
0: <laughs> it's all, well no, we're, we're reflecting we're yeah. listening and then absorbing and taking the moment, the time to reflect and repeating it or rephrasing it is part of that reflective process. So what would our message be to whoever is listening out there?
3: We could say put down the phone except (laughs) then they wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) What what would our message be? Are you asking me that question? Yeah, I am. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I'm going to sort of answer indirectly because I like to do that. Um, I mean, I think when you describe presence and, and, and sort of talk about this, this goal of, you know, setting everything aside and being right there for the thing. It's easy to think about when we don't do that and how, well, I can't. And if people listen to this now while they're driving or whatever mm. their context is, we're sort of calling them out for failing to be <laughs> present with this. Um, and I, so my, and my message would be, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow. It goes with being present, which is just saying It's okay. It's okay. So whatever experience you're having with this or you know with anything that you do, it's okay and we can we can sort of set being fully present and discarding things like you were saying as a goal, but the world doesn't always work that way and there's a lot of pressures and, and that we have around us and um You know, not, I think if you get caught in sort of the self recrimination cycle, it goes in the totally the wrong direction. That's the least present thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. So to be like, gosh, darn, I'm not present. Like I suck. Like now (laughs) you've, yeah, you're really not present at that point. You're thinking about, about failures and I'll talk a little Mm -hmm. about reframing Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So just to reframe Mm -hmm. that as like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. So if you're listening to this Mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't fully pay attention and you Mm -hmm. say, well, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That. You know that reframes your failure to be present into a more present state. I, I guess I don't know. Just feeling I, okay with the moment, in yes. some sense. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a that's a that's a sort of a presence mindset. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think I think well, making sure you actually put time aside maybe to have those reflective moments as well, because if like well, there's not all, it's not always possible in the moment. So yes. maybe then you can create another moment mm. to give you that opportunity. Yes. See, so I'm thinking. I'm thinking. My feet now as about how I, how you deal with it, and you know, of course, I'm often like now we're doing these when we're doing these interviews. I, I of course, I'm thinking of what else to say. We have to yes. do that. Mm. So I do pull myself away from the mm. the actual now moment of the interview because I'm mm. I'm having to think ahead. So then I need to mm. make sure I can listen back or
3: think back afterwards mm. to reflect and to to recreate the now later maybe but you guys didn't come and i'm assuming this is i get the sense this is how all your interviews go i don't see a list of questions Mm. you guys are just standing there you uh you know are kind of bouncing off Mm. of each other Mm. so you this is not a scripted uh you know news promo piece like we're just having a conversation Mm. so yes you have to think of the next Mm. question again it's Mm. okay yeah, I'll just say it back to you. It's okay. <laughs> it's look okay. And you, it's look necessary. Yeah. Look at what you are doing. You are mm. conducting an interview. You're mm. producing like a professional industry mm. product, um, you know, in a you know impromptu, improvised way. Mm. And you're succeeding at that. Like that's, you have to be thinking of the next question. Mm. But you also have taken a, you know, it's a very mindful mm. mindset, if that's not too jargony. Mm. <laughs> you know, you've taken a mindful yeah. mindset yeah. towards the creation of this. So... You know, again, I'll just mm-hmm. flip it around, look at the way that you are being present and how mm-hmm. you're doing. it. Are we going to hug after this? Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: going <laughs> to like yeah. group hug. I'm feeling like it's coming. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, and thank Steve. you, Steve. And, um, thank you, guys. Uh,
2: Moving on to uh, Pete Trainer,
0: the Director of Human-Centered Design at uh, Nexus CX. Yeah, he says he's a designer, occasional robot, and psychologist, <laughs> accidental polymath. And um, yeah, Pete's um, talk is bigger, bigger hippos and happier humans. Um, and he talks around the, the uh, model. Uh, the, well, there's a framework that he, they've devised. Um, he's devised in his company um, for, for how you can you can design happiness into your products. And this is also based on um, a formula. It's a research. They've calculated exactly mm. the, the formulatic, f- formulatic equation of... And that
2: is exciting goodness. stuff because we all want that formula. Yeah. So listen in for it now.
0: So we're, um, we're joined here now by um, Pete Trainer, who um, presented um, earlier today, Bigger Hippos and Happier Humans.
4: That's right.
2: What type of hippo are we talking about oh, here? Oh, oh.
4: Yeah, well, I was just, as I was just explaining... Um, my company is looking at the various impacts of digital and user experience on the brain, but I'm dyslexic, so I can't pronounce brain names. So the hippocampus is a part of the brain that deals with memory, happy, and, and negative thoughts. So w- we would nickname it the hippo. It's just easier to digest.
0: Nice. So it's not highest-paid um, opinions.
4: No, it's highest-paid person's <laughs> opinion.
0: And it's not think skin creatures
2: wallowing <laughs> around in, in pools of mud.
4: Exactly. Don't YouTube <laughs> hippos, because lots of bad things come back.
2: I really enjoyed your talk, because you challenged some of the common design thinking yeah. that we have, uh, linking our happiness to something that can be uncomfortable as well.
4: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've actually been doing a lot of research recently around familiar patterns. And familiar patterns don't necessarily... Um, they make for frictionless experiences. So you could argue better usability, better UX, but they're not necessarily mm-hmm. good for people. Yeah. Um, because they break down the barriers of you learning new things um, and evolving as a a, a, as a person they stop you learning new things so we're actually at the uh, we're trying to find the balance between kind of good UX patterns that should be quick and frictionless and bad UX patterns which are effectively things that should be possibly made more complex and more complicated for people um, to make them smarter and to make them happier by solving problems. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a conundrum because it, it's kind of flying in the face of quite a lot of the, the wisdom that we've been building up for the last 15-20 exactly. years in usability mm. which is don't make stuff easy make it um, don't make me think yeah to, well to you know the and the Steve Creek stuff it, mm. is a um, it's on my shelf and, and it's amazing but sometimes making people think is actually the trick to what we should be doing and not making it so frictionless that people mm. don't think.
0: Yeah. And we talked before about the fact that usability is one thing. That can be a blocker. But then and if you make something very, very simple and very, very usable, mm-hmm. then you might not still have a quality of the of the end result. So, yeah. so sign-ups for a newsletter. If you make it absolutely frictionless to sign up for a newsletter, you might end up with loads of rubbish leads yep, because exactly. they, they just didn't mm. realize they were signing up or weren't fully in... in, in um, Involved in the mentally yeah. involved in the process. I mean, I think
4: I think something like a um, something like a, an application and a sign-up process um, absolutely should be slick, quick, uh, frictionless, and not put barriers in place. I think when people are seeking answers to things that arguably they they could find themselves um, if they weren't complacent, those are the things that we want to try and make a little bit trickier for people to mm-hmm. find. So. Um, Google has been very good at teaching us to ask one question and get the answer as the top result. Mm. Uh, we, we would almost advocate um, not giving people the answer straight away, asking them a couple of questions to see if they already knew the answer that they were seeking, mm. um, and just trying to break down, I think, some of this, um, this mentality of everything quickly, um, the... the the, the world that we're creating of, of everything being spoon-fed to you is not good for the brain. It's mm-hmm. making bits of the brain smaller, and we need to start making bits of the brain bigger. Well, the challenge nice.
0: there, surely, is, is that you've got to give people enough uh, enough clues to 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 make them feel like they're on the right track, yeah. but not give not spoon-feed them exactly. The, the and and think
4: about the you know every time you've um, cracked a problem yourself, you get a moment of joy. I mm. solved that one. I beat that level. I completed that, um, that that chapter, I, I, d- I did something and effort got me there, you get a much better feeling. And it's those happy feelings that we're trying to create with digital and actually tell to people, build in some friction so that people solve a problem. Um, and that's going to give them a little buzz. It's going to make mm-hmm. them a little bit happier.
2: So you're actually saying that overcoming challenges is what makes people yeah. enjoy the experience better. Yeah. And you even have this formula for this. Uh, you're saying happiness is uh, equals uh, S plus C plus P, where the S is the bio- biological set point, yep. which you can't really influence that much. Exactly, that's
4: everybody. So everybody mm-hmm. is a, a biological unit. We we are who we are. We're genetically encoded in a certain way. Um, and everybody is different. It's what makes us unique. And actually there are things that you cannot change. So there are yeah. medical conditions that are yours and medicine will fix, but you know, psychology won't necessarily fix. So. You're not going to do much with the uh, biological set point. And right. that was 50% of happiness. That's 50% of happiness. 50%, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 50% yeah. is just us. It's the human condition. It's who we are. Right. Um, the other 50% we've broken down into conditions of living and problem solving. Um, and those are things that we can influence. Right. So, so
0: it's 10% with living conditions.
4: So so what do you mean by that? So 10% I- is basically um, the stuff you buy, the stuff you surround yourself with, um, money, stuff, stuff. Um, it's it's important to people it gives them um uh everything that they want desire but it has a very what we discovered is has a very short kind of happiness span so buying something new to make yourself feel better actually only makes you happy for a couple of days and then you're bored and you're on to the next thing um doesn't expand the hippocampus doesn't um uh, dopamine that you get when you you um find and buy and, and, and collect actually has a very short half-life in the body. So the third part of the equation, the really important part, the bit that we can influence is the problem-solving part, and that's 40% of happiness. Right. Um, this was put together, the equation was done with a bunch of different uh, research units from around the world, and we kind of argued it and disputed it for, for a, a period of time. And It's the 40% of problem-solving that we can influence and we can design problem-solving tools mm. for um, and help people solve problems for, so... It's, it's really only one number in our equation that's something that's in our control um, and something we should be really all that bothered about, and it's the problem-solving part.
1: Yeah.
2: So we're basically saying make it more difficult for the users. <laughs> uh,
4: make it more interesting <laughs> for the users. Um, so um, <laughs> more there's a it's a nuance, <laughs> isn't it, between difficult and yeah. um, intuitively mm. uh, interesting. So. I think the problem so one of the things that we've been spotting is that in frictionless tools um, you know the tinderization of design the uberfication of design all these things people are becoming apathetic it's like a button that they press and something happens it's a a swipe left and right and there's no real emotional um, kind of uh, reaction to that if something is slightly more difficult at least you're eliciting a reaction which is that was Mm. more frustration is a good reaction in some ways to success, which is a kind of yippee moment. So, mm-hmm. um, we're not saying necessarily make it difficult to frustrate people, mm-hmm. but if you do get a frustrated reaction, yeah. at least there's something. Um,
2: you're basically saying yeah, that instead, yeah. you're helping them making conscious decisions instead yeah. of unconscious decisions.
4: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think what that's what it's all about. It's about yeah. um, uh, giving people choices. So, when we looked at things like Tinder, and we were talking about the Tinderization of design. Actually, uh, uh, you could make something like Tinder uh, non-linear, so something is a problem-solving tool rather than a kind of linear non uh, problem-solving tool by giving people four options. So rather than just left, right, you could say do drop, die-rise, or delegate. So mm. you could do, you could turn t- Tinder, say, into four Ds mm. rather than just like left and right. And people have to stop and consider the answer a little bit, a little, like for one second more. Um, and that's a big difference between A, B. Um, ABCD is is kind of what we're saying we're not talking about things that are necessarily going to take like minutes or hours more on your day to solve just a couple more seconds Mm -hmm. stops you and makes you think
1: yeah
2: I think we can actually borrow a lot from gamification. We say that yeah. we, uh, well we, we borrow from gamification, gamification which we don't always, yeah. but something that the games do is actually the add hurdles because it makes it more fun
0: to
4: yeah, exactly. actually accomplish them. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's mm.
0: the next thing mm. that is actually what drives you, yeah. not the thing you've just done.
4: Yeah, yeah. exactly, and it's all mm. of those things. And, the, and you know, the term... Um, I think the term gamification is, is something that's possibly been you know, overused because of marketing companies, but mm. the principles of it uh, are absolutely sound. It's not about badges. It's not about, you know... Uh, uh, league tables anything like mm. that it's about this. Co- it's this concept of like levelling up and becoming better at something the more you do it it's that right there mm. those principles of gamica- uh, gamification are, are, are bang on for UX uh, practitioners right
0: yeah give it fun make it challenging and shake it up
4: mm-hmm. yeah variety variety is, a, is the other one that we, we talk a lot about of um, changing the message that you see every day changing the message that you mm. get at the end of a process changing the um, colour of an interface to reflect the time of the day. Those mm. kind of ambient variety mm. um, moments can be hugely powerful for people because it makes them stop and go. Something's changed. Like mm. it's not got in the way of me. Checking out, but it's just made me stop and think slightly. Yeah. Um, it made
0: it more interesting,
4: and, and I, th- I think that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. That what what
0: we're talking about here doesn't have to be on a massive grand scale. Mm-hmm. You don't have to build in these kind of, this kind of um, way of happiness as, as on a on a huge level. It can be, yeah. you just said something mm-hmm. much more subtle, but mm-hmm. still generates um, yeah. happiness yeah. at the end of the we, line.
4: We just um, we're just in the process of launching a, a new product for a <coughs> bank in the UK. Um, and it's a, uh, it's going to be a little bit like Siri, but it's more chat-based. So mm. trying to help you solve problems, but rather than just giving you the answer straight away, it basically asks you two questions before you get your answer. And mm. Now, the testing that we've done is that are you
0: sober? Are you got cl- Are you got clothes on? Yeah, or? exactly. <laughs> and, um,
4: and should you be making this transaction right now? <laughs> um, it's it, within two questions. Most people realise that they already know the answer mm. to, you know, like twenty percent of common problems. Mm. Um, And so we were trying to create a more Socratic version of Siri, something that was more philosophical and and almost like a kind of codified counsellor for your problems. Um, It's very much based around some of the principles of CBT, um, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, Mm. uh, and, and those... Moments of clarity actually give people a lightbulb moment where they say, mm. oh, "Yeah, I kind of already knew the answer to this, but it had been lost, mm. in the, you know, in all the other bits in my brain and mm. all the other thoughts that have been swimming around today." Yeah. So um,
0: a, a, c- a coaching Siri, that kind of yeah, really exactly. But it it, is, it's, it's
4: n- it also gets you to an answer really quickly if you if you don't genuinely know the answer. Like we're not there to try right. and kind of mm. freak you out. <laughs> it's not there to try and you know make life mm. more difficult. But um, it was an interesting experiment, and, it, and it's it's already proving to um, to work quite well, it makes people feel a bit happier about solving their own problems.
2: That is awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I look you're forward happy. to actually adding different colors to my website across <laughs> today. Now, now. Yeah, <laughs> Go for it, Yeah, Thanks <laughs> nice so much join for joining us. No
4: worries. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Yeah,
0: so now from Pete, we've, we've, we've got the formula of happiness, and we know the part of it that we can actually tweak um, as designers. Mm. And that takes then to, to Anjan. Chatterjee. Yeah. Um, our our neuroscientist.
2: Yeah, he's a uh, Frank A. and Gladys H. Elliott Professor and Chair of neuro- Neurology at Pennsylvania Hospital, uh, member of the Center for the Cognitive Neuroscience and the Center for Neuroscience and Society at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, received an BA in Philosophy from Harvard Haverford College, MD from the University of Pennsylvania, uh, completed his neuro- neurology residency at the University of Chicago, <laughs> it's like, oh dear. You can,
0: we can keep going. <laughs> but what <laughs> Anjan um, helps us understand and explain is the automatic response that our brains give to certain stimuli. Mm. He talks a bit about
2: uh, the uh, outer psychophysics and the inner psychophysics. And uh, he's seeing UX as part of that, which helps us understand inner psychophysics, the Aesthetics that come from inside of us ourselves instead of just the polish on the outside.
0: Yeah We we are as we are some things you can't mm. actually Change let's listen to Anjan <laughs>
2: Anjan Chatterjee welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you fantastic talk today about Beauty and neuroscience and the, uh, the
0: neuroscience of aesthetics
2: aesthetics Yeah, that was the title of your talk that was and and uh, it's nice to have someone who knows what they're talking about because at these <laughs> conferences, uh, we tend to dabble, and we love, we love psychology, and we love to talk about the brain, but we don't really have the research, research to back it up and maybe not always the knowledge, actually, to understand and interpret the research as well. But
5: tell us a bit about the studies you've done and the conclusions you've come to. So uh, we've done a variety of studies looking at neural responses to beauty, how people behave in the context of beauty, and really trying to understand how one goes about thinking about aesthetics in general. Um, And with beauty, um, as I mentioned in my talk, faces often are a prototypic example of beauty, but it's not confined to faces. It can be people's bodies, it can be places, uh, it can be uh, artifacts people regard I have a particular attachment to my toaster, which I think mm. is very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so, so uh, you know, beauty pervades a lot of our lives, uh, and it influences how we make decisions. So so that's how we got interested in this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. And there, w- there was one thing, y- a quote you had that uh, <laughs> I thought was really interesting, that the average composite face is more attractive than any individual face that contributed to it. Right why is that? That's, that seems really strange. So if you have a lot of faces that are piece together into one image... Yeah, yeah. So you merge them into, into, yeah. a, into right. a generic face. Yeah. Then that and generic in the, the
5: context of uh, meaning that, say, the average distance of the eyes are averaged mm. or the distance between the mouth and the, or the shape of the lips are averaged, right? So the averaging doesn't necessarily mean it's an average, you know, mm. sort, of, sort of the girl or boy next door kind of notion. No, right? yeah. it's, it's a statistical average. Yeah. Uh, and this was uh, actually discovered... Uh, not far from here, uh, in the late uh, 19th century, as I mentioned, uh, Galton, uh, who thought if he could combine the faces of criminals, would come out with the, the the image of a master criminal. Instead, he came out with a, what looked like a beautiful person. Yeah. Mm. And so that was the mm. observation, which mm. has since been replicated. The kind of explanation people use for this, which I didn't mention in my talk, is that it might be an indicator of genetic diversity. So, we have a kind I mean, of yeah. notion, uh, a popular notion mm. that children of mixed race couples often are regarded as beautiful. Yes. And yeah, I mean, this sort of idea yeah. and that inbred families are, you know, mm. not as beautiful, that sort of So, I think that's that's the intuition that people have and their Everyday life, mm. and this is an experimental way of showing that if you combine features across many different kinds, mm. yeah. the outcome is more attractive, and it's thought to be a signal of genetic health.
0: Yeah. So this is a deep-rooted right. signal to, to, right. to us as mm. breeding humans: that right, good choice, bad choice. Exactly. Mm. Right,
5: and Impressive. and so the idea is that if you get a p- for for people who got pleasure in that good choice mm. are more likely to. Uh, to propagate because their children would have better genetic fitness. Yeah. And yeah. so that's how that, the idea is that's how the preference got built into the population over yeah. time.
0: Yeah. You, you also said that, the, um, that there was a um, link between um, good, well, good and beauty or yeah. good and bad and, and beauty and ugly, that right. you get a very similar neurological response right. in the situations.
5: Right. So that also, uh, some people think that the the background of this idea that uh people conflate beauty and goodness is because there was this root that the goodness was about genetic health, about f- uh, physical fitness, that that's a good thing, right? And so that some people think might be the link of how that came about. And it has interesting, you know, what I didn't talk about, we've just started to do some experiments looking at people with minor flaws that c- that can be surgically corrected. And people, uh, you get the reverse effect, which is that people uh, attribute all sorts of negative social attributes to people with minor flaws okay. uh, and which people haven't, uh, th- that hasn't been uh, examined very much but it does look like in our early studies that uh, that uh, the converse is also happening.
2: So it seemed like in the end there, there has to be an ethical side to this because we have all this knowledge about how beauty attracts people to... to in essentially if we're designing products and services yeah uh, how how we use b- beauty in that sense to attract people to to our what we're offering right uh, there's an ethical side to that uh, in the sense that are people aware of what they're choosing and based on their own values and about their own goals because yeah. you mentioned um, uh, some some studies where people well, I, I related actually to other studies where professional musicians do s- perform as street musicians and people and don't recognize the right. music and right, they think yeah. it's not as good yeah, yeah right. exactly yeah.
5: Whereas if you paid 50 or 100 pounds to go listen to them, it must be great. Right. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, that, and, of course, that's how we are. Yeah. So
5: either you accept it or you try to, I don't know, design that into something. Yeah. So I think there is an ethical component to this, uh, which is that, um, again, going back to hiring practices, as I mentioned, that there are data suggesting that attractive people are more likely to be hired. They're given higher pay. If you're an attractive criminal, you're... Uh, your punishments are less severe. Uh, and those are built-in biases that I think we need to be aware of to be able to counteract mm-hmm. uh, on the one hand. Mm-hmm. I think for people who design products, it's a useful thing to know that if it's beautiful, you will get that initial uh, you know, bang for your beauty buck, which is that people will think it's good, people mm-hmm. will be engaged, people will react to it. But then going back to the end of my talk, uh, sort of talking about how context matters, mm-hmm. and uh, in some ways to be able to sustain that it's not sufficient it's not sufficient to just get that initial uh, initial response right the 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 education the 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 context of having a reputation that's actually built on designing good products also comes into play yeah right so I think that's where I would say it's not enough it's not enough to be a pretty face actually yeah. <laughs> <right? Yeah. laughs> yeah. you just yeah. got to be a good person and, yeah. and that the same applies to products yeah
0: as we did the the, the, um, the, the the beauty or that aspect that that's the that's that initial draw right um, but then after that we've got the, the the decision mechanism right the more
5: deliberative mechanisms. Well, supposedly deliberate for us. Supposedly, <laughs> right? and mm. um, But that's where I think the sort of meaning, knowledge, mm. experience, education, culture, all of that plays into it mm. uh, at that level. The initial response, I think, doesn't tap into that, right? So you get you get a leg up with yeah. beauty to start with, mm. but it's not, it's not sufficient. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think we um, we
0: both um, we both sat there and did that kind of ah moment when we saw the the slide which was um, uh, from the experiment where um, you had the, the the width of the faces um, and, um, and and beauty and yeah. with the mouse mo- tracking the mouse right. movements and that you right. um, they were you were drawn people were drawn to the the beautiful option even yeah. though they were
5: the right uh, option was the right other one. option mm. the
0: one that we were supposed mm. to choose yeah. in the test was the the other option the wider and they face make one. the right. Yeah. Choice, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not yeah. as though exactly. it's, not a faili- it's not a task failure, right?
5: It's not so a task failure, but it is mm. a bias, and it's mm. a bias in a very concrete sense, mm. right? Which mm. is your body actually w- wants to move towards it. Yeah.
0: So that's where you can get that that leg up, that extra yeah. lift, if you yeah. combine beauty with the, the 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 wanted choice.
5: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So, what would be your recommendation for people
2: uh, who are designers? T- who most of us are in this room? Yeah. Uh, Mean, well. I mean, so
5: it's a. I, I'm an outsider mm. in the yeah. sense that I don't know the field or mm. know what what's mm. normative. Mm-hmm. I would. I love beauty, right? so <laughs> I think I, I think it's it's important for things to be functional, uh, and but I would make a pitch, for whatever you think is beautiful, mm. uh, that that be an integral part of your design that it's not just about functionality that people people value aesthetic experiences uh and it's it's sometimes we talk about it as an intrinsic value uh it's intransitive in the sense that it's not because of something else but but my guess uh is that's part of what builds in brand loyalty which is that it is not just a good functional user experience it's also a beautiful experience and so that would be my piece to you guys it makes us feel good right it makes Mm. us feel good and we want to keep doing it Mm. Mm. That makes me think of you brought up the picture
2: of the urinal, which, and course, it's fun- functional in that sense. Well, depending on where you put it. Where you put it, right. <laughs> yeah. so. It can be functional right. or it yeah. can be art. Yeah. Yeah. It can yeah. be yeah. good yeah. art or yeah. it can be bad art, right. <laughs> depending on the context <laughs> yes. and the processing of it. Yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. So. Thanks so much for Great. joining us. Appreciate joining it. Us. Thank Great. Thank you. Bye.
0: Oh, there's um, Anjan's interview and also his, his, his talk. There's so many... I think for me, he's probably the most rem- most memorable talk from the two days. Excellent, yeah. Because, I've, I mean, I've already... We're only a few days after the conference now. Mm. And I know that I've used examples from his talk, I think on three separate occasions I can think of when I've, I've brought something up wow. already. Nice. Um, which was which was interesting. Yeah. The urinal example. The urinal? U- urinal. Urinal? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs>
3: i've used that one already as well that yeah. this was
0: one i don't know if well we talked about it at the end of the interview yeah yeah uh you, know, you take you take any old piece of rubbish art mm-hmm. <laughs> now little quotes around that mm-hmm. and put it in a in a museum or mm-hmm. an art gallery say it's by a famous artist mm-hmm. people go oh whereas if you're just peeing into it in a toilet then you're just peeing it peeing into it in a toilet
2: yeah. <laughs> that's where Anjan uh, Anjan's message is that context matters that was the one aspect of, yeah. um, of his talk yeah
0: um but um, but no, but this is something very important to us. That remember that you know we can't necessarily affect how the part certain parts of the brain function. Mm. We do have a, a, a neurological response mm. to certain things, and situations. Mm. Um, so we can only steer so much.
2: Right, which make, makes you realize that uh, you have to be really, really care- careful when you're designing stuff because if you don't give people enough time to think. Mm. Then they will actually respond automatically uh, and follow whatever is beautiful or what is aesthetically uh, appealing to them. Uh, but as in the case where, where Anjan was giving the example, people did respond correctly to that quiz he was giving them.
0: Oh, this, is, this, this was the mouse movement one. Yeah,
2: that we mentioned. You were supposed to find the wider face, but sometimes uh, the the on your way there. the less wide face was the more beautiful face. So on your way to just click on the on the wide face you actually moved your mouse towards the beautiful face because you were your body was actually telling you your mind that, yeah. yeah you were attracted to that which was <laughs> really amazing
0: yeah. what was the name of the medial mm. uh, oh, was, I can't remember ofc that. A little bit of the brain, which is, which, um, this is a fantastic when you're talking to neuroscientists. They, mm. can, they can just spit out these, yeah. these you know, names and Latin mm. bits for all parts of your mind and head and, and know exactly what that's supposed to do. At the very, at the very end um, of um, Anjan's talk, he took some questions. Mm. And one of the questions was, um, well, how, how, how can you be creative? How, how best how can you best be creative? Yeah. Um and um he explained about um how you you know to be um creative you need to know your tools, you need to have a period of incubation for an, for an idea, um uh, to allow the aha moment and then of course communicate mm. the um the idea. So you need downtime. And yeah so that's mm. the key th- thing there is the incubation yeah. period. Your mm. your brain needs to have that time to kind of, you know, work on things. Um mm. And these these aha moments mm. they often occur during uh, moments of of uh, or periods of low arousal, mm-hmm. so you you know downtime you said, yeah. um, and we know this is true. So we you have ideas in the shower mm. in the bath, mm. um, just when you first wake up in the mm. morning, um, you know when you're going for a mm. walk or something. You have, you mm. you take yourself out from a situation. Mm. You your brain then just mm. something just bubbles up completely unexpectedly. Yeah. Not and really. we always joke
2: about that. I get my best ideas in the shower, but rarely do we actually take the time to take that shower metaphorically, but mm-hmm. to go outside and let ourselves not think about a problem for a while, mm-hmm. just let the brain itself work on it in the background. Uh, and I think that has been a very big message for the whole
0: conference. Mm-hmm. I think um, Anjan also, also um, he, he mentioned about the default, default mode network mm-hmm. and its role. Um, during downtime and periods of incubation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to Google for down, a default mode network, but it basically it's um, it's a collection of areas of the brain that dampen, the activity lowers um, when doing something. So it allows you to have these moments of mm-hmm. aha. It calms you down. Yeah. So
2: tying into Pete, what Pete Trainer was saying, uh, which I absolutely loved uh, about adding friction to interfaces because mm. that helps the user uh,
0: make better decisions. Mm. That actually, and that you that have the 40% of happiness that you can design rather yeah. than the 60% you can't.
2: And that that's really the same thing because that means you're not making automatic decisions all the time. Mm. You're actually taking the time to make conscious de- decisions mm. as a user and you're allowing people to do that. Uh, which I myself did a talk about just two weeks ago uh, which I love that I did that before <laughs> I saw his one because uh, then everybody would have thought that I was inspired <laughs> by him I'll I'll, p- <laughs> I'll put the link to your post in the show notes yeah. uh, don't know where I was no but we're going through
0: we we're, were talking about mm. Anjan and then leading into Pete with, yeah. um, with the way and designing happiness mm. and, and, and um, having them well putting up hurdles in the way I suppose to, to allow people time mm. to reflect and take the right decision mm. and the happy de- maybe mm. the happy decision mm um because
2: and also which was really interesting what, what people were saying is that people love challenges mm-hmm. people love to solve problems yeah and that is the thing uh, that we can actually affect in our interfaces we can allow them to solve problems mm-hmm. to have more fun to learn uh, as, to, as they go along and mix it about a bit yeah and that is what entices what he's calling the hippo which of course is the hippocampus of the brain
0: and then though we we come into steve mm. and um, uh, and he moves us then on what helping us with the kind of downtime and reflection, and uh, talking about the mindfulness and and presence and being making sure we're we're, we're listening, we are there, but mm. at the same time being able to um, take a step back from who we are and where we are mm. to to have these moments of reflection. And, uh, and we have to tell on. the
2: listeners because when we did that interview, it was before his talk, but mm. now we've heard his talk and. He actually made the whole audience do a, a minute of meditation. Uh, it's uh, a first actually, for me, you know, a conference. At a big conference and completely silent. Everybody's meditating, which was fantastic. Yeah.
0: Normally, normally mm. the closing mm. keynote at the end of a conference, mm. it's one of those kind of like pulling together, mm. everything kind of tied up. Mm. Um, it's, it's the kind of grand finale. Yeah. It's that kind of idea with it. Mm. Whereas Steve, he did almost the complete opposite. He took us after two tiring, you know, f- That's right, intensive fun that. days. Yeah. But <laughs> he, he actually took us down yeah. a bit and, and yeah. said, you know, okay, now we need to have some mindfulness and, mm. and, and think about where we are and who we are. So, yeah, we had a minute, 60 seconds mm. of, of utter silence in an auditorium mm. of 140 plus mm. people, which was, um, which was really interesting. And which is excellent because
2: <laughs> it ties in with what everybody has been saying. Mm. You need that downtime uh, to think about, okay. So I don't want to rush into things now because you get all these ideas during conference like this, and you, I want to do this, I want to do that. But then, okay, so calm down, take a minute. Mm.
0: What do you really want to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, and also um, the thing about um, catching yourself um, before we engage in our default reactions. Mm. I'm going to interview, talking about interviews again here now, or research yeah. and 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 when we're thinking about things that we we very quickly come with our mm. spontaneous default reaction, whereas we actually need to, a lot of time, just pause a little bit to allow us, uh, to give us space so that we don't come with our biases. Yeah. Because the biases are the ones that come out fastest. Yep. Um, so if you want to remove mm. yourself from bias, then it's best to kind of have that mindfulness mm. and that sense of presence mm. so you can actually pause for a second mm. and then come in with, with something more mm. neutral.
2: It's something I've talked about a lot. I mean, Steve's written a book about interviewing users, but it comes in there as well that, Sometimes you just need to stay quiet and let the users talk. Don't ask them questions. Don't guide them. Let them talk. Let their actual uh, feelings and wants and desires come across better by not asking questions. Mm. And so, enjoy that silent moment.
0: Yeah. I think um, Steve actually said, mm. um, accept, don't judge. It's mm. one of the things he mentioned during his talk. Yeah
2: which again, I love this conference because it tied in with so much stuff that I'm doing right now with with the coaching, which also is about being present in the moment with someone you're talking to and having eye contact and really, really getting into who they are and not putting your bias onto them, Uh, just allowing them to be themselves and listening. Mm. I'm getting religious here almost.
0: (laughs) It's going to be okay now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was another thing that Steve did. He made everyone tell a problem to their person they were sitting next to. Uh, and the other person just said, it's going to be okay. Mm. And it is fantastic how that can actually trigger something in your mind that sort of relieves you of
0: stress mm. uh, in some sense. Even it, if it, it didn't it feel sincere. E- yeah, exactly. Uh, because as yeah. we mentioned, this. Yeah. it didn't really feel sincere. Yeah. But it still gave them mm. time to reflect. Mm. It, 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 was a, it was long enough to mm. actually... Put it into words mm. and saying it to someone mm. gave enough kind of sense, of sense of presence to actually think about it again and yes. see from another angle. Yes. So, uh, now it was mm. um, very thoughtful mm. um, talk, and um, and I, I I I personally really liked how these three mm. talks could can can flow into each other, and you can you can learn. You, you get a lot from each of these three talks that you can build together. Mm. I think. Yeah. So this was the first of two sets of interviews from the conference. Yep. Um, coming up um, next time, yeah. Um, if I can remember everyone we're including, um, we will be talking to Jim Kalbach Jim Callback. Callback. You're, sorry, you're right. That's how we he, he he taught, taught us taught to pronounce us, Um <laughs> <laughs> We sat there next to him and he, he taught us how to say his name. Jim Callback. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. Um, who is actually head of UX um, team at um, Argos in the UK. Then um, we also will be talking to um, Craig Sullivan. Oh yeah, a long time mm-hmm. guest, uh, a friend of the show. He's mm-hmm. been on. I think this is going to be his fourth time he's been on the show. Mm-hmm. Always entertaining. Um, he's an optimizer, Craig. If you don't know. Um, uh, f- we also fourth talk will be with. Oh God, no! My page has gone all wrong. <laughs> Sophia Hussein. Yeah, Sofia, saying as well. Um, With Ecosystem Mm -hmm. Thinking. who Mm -hmm. um, She's a um, a UX designer who works in Norway. So that's something to look forward to. Um,
2: Plus the two delegates
0: we'll be ending that show with. Yes, our wrap-up will be with um, uh, two people who were also at the um, conference. There'll be Mm -hmm. four of us just sharing our thoughts Mm -hmm. at the end Um, and what we learned from the whole thing. Mm
2: -hmm. We'll put all the Twitter handles and uh, find everything in our show notes. I think there will actually be videos out from the conference we'll link to that as well.
0: If they're out in time for the show going yeah. up, then yes I'll mm. I'll link them too. Mm. Um so yeah you can um find everything um at uxpodcast.com show notes and resources. Um I'm Bean Tin on Twitter. I'm boom on Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna spell them this time. <laughs> um to go over UX Podcast all one word um absolutely everywhere. Um and um thank you very much for listening. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. <laughs>